Hello, my name is Barbara, and this is Neuroscience Amateur Hour. I hope you're doing well. It's okay if you aren't. Life has been a real bitch lately, and it feels like the world is a mess. And I hope that you guys are surrounded by loved ones and friends who have your back. But let's get into it. I'm actually recording in the morning for the first time because I have some social plans this evening. So you might hear like the clinking of glass as I drink my coffee and become a fully formed human being for the day. (laughs) But yeah, I'm a little sleepy. I'm not going to lie. But today I wanted to Go back to the basics and talk about how neurons actually fire and are able to convey signals across the brain. A little foundational background never hurt anybody. Plus, you know, it can help to build on more complex concepts in other episodes. So let's start with the structure of a neuron. So neurons are cells, so they have a cell body with a nucleus inside. The nucleus holds all the DNA that encodes the structure and function of that neuron. The cell body is also called the soma, and you might hear those words used interchangeably. From the soma, there are a bunch of wiggly appendages and one significantly longer wiggly appendage. The little appendages are called dendrites, and they're responsible for receiving incoming signals to the neuron. And the longer appendage is called an axon, and that one is responsible for sending signals to other neurons or parts of the body. At the very end of an axon, we have the axon terminal, which has a bunch of synapses at the very, very end, and that structure is how we're allowed to, allowed, how we're capable of specifically sending outgoing signals. This axon is kind of like a wire, and it has insulation wrapped around it in the form of myelin. Supporting cells called Schwann cells will produce a myelin sheath by wrapping around the axon dozens of times, sort of swaddling the whole thing, if you will. The Schwann cells will form myelin sheets at regular intervals with little bits of bare axon poking through, and those bare spots are called nodes of Ranvier, and I'll get into why those are terribly, terribly important in a hot second. So there are going to be two broad topics today. The first will be, how does the neuron send the signal within itself, transmit it from one part of the cell to the other, the dendrite to the axon? And the second will be, how does the neuron transmit information from one cell to another? So how does an axon send info to the next cell's dendrites? So let's start with that first topic. How is information conveyed down the cell itself? It turns out it's all about electrical signals. Neuroscience is a lot of physics, which I did not know when I decided to study this field. When I was younger, I thought neuroscience was like tree, plant, butterfly, cell kind of science. But no. It is a lot of math and physics and coding. (laughs) I am slowly but surely trying to find the motivation to learn how to code. I know it's going to come in handy later, but I have been so lax. I took one class in college in coding, and I despised it. I'm not going to lie. But if you want to go into systems neuroscience specifically, this is my friendly little heads up that it will be more physics and hard science than you expect. So let's dive in. If we zoom in on a neuron and we look at a small part of the surface of the cell, we can see that it has these special holes in it. It has specific ionic channels scattered across the surface, 
And these will allow ions, which are molecules or atoms with some sort of electrical charge, whether it's positive or negative, to flow from inside the cell to the outside of the cell and vice versa. Now, we know quite a few things about ions. We know that positively charged ions will repel each other, as will negatively charged ions. Ions of opposite charge attract. We also know that the ions will travel down a concentration gradient. Ions want to be evenly dispersed. So if there are more ions of a certain kind on one side of the cell, they will travel to the other side until they're even. And these two factors, repulsion and concentration gradients, will balance each other out to a certain extent. It's also important to note that the membrane which separates the outside of the cell from the inside of the cell has different permeability for different ions. It might let potassium flow through more than sodium, for example. But because of all of these factors, when you look at the membrane of a neuron, we see an uneven distribution of these ions, these charges inside the cell versus outside the cell. And that charge imbalance means that the neuron has a voltage across its membrane, which we call a resting membrane potential or a resting potential. Dealer's choice, really. I mean, they're, they're all used in the same context, from my understanding. I could be wrong. I could be misusing that word. I'm going to Google that later. <laughs> uh, but this resting potential can be calculated with a very nice formula. It's called the, Ner the Nernst equation, which was the bane of my existence in college. It doesn't matter for this podcast episode, but if you're curious, go out and Google it. You'll see how it all plays into like concentration gradients and permeability of certain ions. Yes, that's happening. Coffee. Coffee time. But if you imagine taking two electrodes and placing one directly inside the cell and one directly outside the cell, we'll measure that there's a difference. And that difference is minus 70 millivolts. And that is a very, very, very important number. And all that means is when that neuron is at rest, there are more sodium ions outside the cell and more potassium ions inside the cell. And do you know how we remember that? A neuron is a banana in the ocean. <laughs> you get it? <laughs> because the banana has a lot of potassium and the ocean has a lot of sodium. It's really salty. I'm a comedian, I swear. Uh, so yeah, our neurons have a resting potential of minus 70 millivolts, which means that it's polarized. If the membrane potential were to become more positive, say, move towards zero, we would say that it becomes depolarized. If it were to become less positive, it would be hyperpolarized. Okay, so how, how is the signal sent down an axon? All of this background has a purpose, I swear. So it turns out that it's something called an action potential, which is when the membrane potential of a specific cell location rapidly rises, depolarizes, and then falls. This action potential has a very specific shape, in a very specific way that it works. Let's dive in. During rest, no signal is being sent. All potassium and sodium gated channels are closed in this location. When the location depolarizes, its voltage rises. These voltage-gated sodium channels open and allow sodium from the ocean, quote-unquote, to rush into the cell, the banana, <laughs> making the membrane potential overall even more positive. Also, when I say voltage-gated, it means that there's like a specific potential difference across the cell that allows these channels to open. They have this specific uh, unit in the, mem in the membrane that's like positively charged. So when uh, the like, there's a increasingly positive potential difference, it like repels this positively charged unit and it'll move and it'll open up the rest of the gate. It's really fucking cool. I mean, science is cool in general, but this is like 
wow, that is a feat of engineering. But overall, it's this really cool domino effect. Once some of these voltage-gated sodium channels open, open, it causes more downstream to open. But after the action potential, this wave of depolarization passes through the location, we get repolarization. And that's when the sodium channels close and potassium channels open up. And that allows the cell to return to its resting state. But because these potassium channels have opened up and uh, we actually end up overshooting resting state, the cell hyperpolarizes or the location hyperpolarizes. But the sodium-potassium pump which helps to maintain our resting potential. It kind of like pumps sodium and potassium channels across the membrane, even if it's against their concentration gradients to kind of maintain the cell's resting state. Anyway, that little guy uh, eventually helps to uh, establish resting state. So we get the super classic action potential shape. We have the rise, the fall, the overshoot, and the stabilization. Or if you're being very technical, depolarization, hyperpolarization. Sorry, excuse me, I fucked up depolarization, repolarization, hyperpolarization, and stabilization, and I need more coffee. So that's exactly how signals are sent down the axon. It's a wave of depolarization that rapidly travels down the neuron. And when I say rapidly, I guess I mean kind of fast, I think. It's like 100 to 150 meters per second. There's a variety of factors that affect uh, speed, including axon diameter, myelin sheet thickness, etc., etc., If you wanted more physics, here you go. Will an action potential travel faster down a thick axon or a thin axon? It's thick. (laughs) It's because there's less resistance to ion flow. So now let's talk about myelin and those fancy nodes of Ranvier. Why are they there? Hmm? What is their purpose? Well, where there is myelin, there are no ionic channels. But there are a lot of ionic channels at the nodes of Ranvier between the myelin sheaths. So what happens is that there's not this constant exchange of ions across the membrane, and it only happens in these set locations. And the action potential ends up being a lot faster because of it. And I mean a lot faster. An action potential traveling down an unmyelinated axon will travel at speeds of 0.5 to 10 meters per second. A myelinated axon can conduct at velocities of up to 150 meters per second. That's pretty fucking cool, right? It turns out that we do have actually axons of differing... um, Myelination states and differing widths across the body. I think pain is actually a very, very slow sensation. uh, And it's because it's an unmyelinated axon and stuff like that. But So there are different functionalities for all of these. So yeah, the action potential travels down the cell, down the axon, until it reaches the synaptic terminals. There we have a whole different fucking ballgame. So let's get into topic two. Synaptic transmission. How neurons communicate with one another. So the synapse is the structure that lies at the very end of the synaptic terminal. We have chemical synapses and we have electrical synapses in the brain. So we have our presynaptic cell and we have our postsynaptic cell. And there's this teeny tiny little space between the two called the synaptic junction, which is just 0.02 microns wide. Teeny tiny small. Small with an O, obviously, because why not? So let's start with chemical synapses, because those are both more common and more complicated in the brain. And that's all I pretty much have experience with. Uh, Fun fact, the word synapse has Greek roots. It comes from the word syn, which means together, and haptine, which means to clasp. So the presynaptic cell holds a bunch of vesicles, which are like little bubbles full of neurotransmitters. 
Neurotransmitters are chemical messengers, and you've definitely heard of them. <laughs> uh, think things like dopamine, or acetylcholine, or serotonin. So when an action potential arrives at the end of an axon, it triggers these vesicles full of neurotransmitter to head to the synaptic cleft. And the vesicles there will bind and release their load into the synaptic cleft. And I realize now it sounds kind of nasty, but moving on from that. <laughs> Calcium, uh, another ion, is a vital part of this process. And I won't go into like deep, deep specifics because I'll end up talking about like synaptophysin and other things that I have. They're like on the periphery of my brain, but not in my active memory. I'm like, I'm sure if somebody was like, this is what this is. I'd be like, of course I knew what that is. But at the moment, I am deficient. Moving on. Anyway, calcium is a vital part of this process because we know that calcium will flood into the cell, and it, that's what actually triggers the exocytosis process of these vesicles. Blocking calcium channels inhibits neurotransmitter release. So once the neurotransmitter is in the synaptic cleft, it will travel that short little distance, those 0.02 microns, to the postsynaptic cell, where it'll be picked up by receptors, and it will guide the subsequent cell's actions. And that is how neurons send signals to each other and within themselves. I kind of skipped over electrical synapses. They are more simple. Basically, they form gap junctions where the presynaptic cell and the postsynaptic cell are really, really close together. And instead of neurotransmitters, we just have like ions flowing from one cell to the other. They're much simpler. But uh, I hope that gave you guys some good foundational background for future episodes and just, you know, consuming neuroscience knowledge in general. Action potentials, super important. Remember that number, minus 70 millivolts. I've cited all my relevant sources and papers in the show notes, and you should keep an eye out on Instagram for some cool figures that I think are pertinent. I... I'm not going to lie, an obnoxious amount of this information came from my brain, and I tried to support it with uh, things like Khan Academy and other resources where you can, you can take a look at uh, you know, figures and more information and all that good stuff. But yes, <laughs> we all just took like Neuro 1A together. This is kind of like probably two or three lectures that, that have been condensed here. But please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, queries, or complaints, please email me at neuroscienceamateurhour at gmail.com or DM me at neuroscienceamateurhour on Instagram. This podcast is available on pretty much any platform I can think of, so please recommend it to your friends and loved ones. Also, if you are feeling so inclined to financially support my work, please buy me a cup of coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash neuroscience. Also, if you have something you really want to learn about, please contact me and you'll probably see an episode about it soon. I, I answer my Instagram message. I promise you, I, I check it like every day. Um, but happy researching and I hope to see you again.